0: I am so glad that you chose to be here this weekend. It's, and this is hard to believe, the very last weekend of our unforgettable summer series, but it's not the least. In fact, we're kind of ending it on a big note. This spiritual communicator was here last year for the first time, and we had to have him back. He's the pastor of New Life Church in Arkansas. It is a church of of nine different campuses in eight cities, reaching thousands upon thousands of people because this pastor's heart is to reach the next one. They've started a dream center, which is all about ministering to the needs of those without in their city, and they touch a bunch of lives. And yet, with all of the impact and all of the leaders he, he's touched around the world, he's just down to earth. In fact, he wrote a book called Be Real because fake is exhausting. You'll see from his style that he really is authentic. And so, on this last weekend of Unforgettable, would you help me to give a big welcome to Rick Bazette?
1: All right. Well, we serve a good God, isn't that right? Turn to the person next to you and say, I heard you singing and it was terrible. It's terrible. I want to say hello to the Sling campus and the Brighton campus. Would you help me welcome them and those that are online listening in as well? Thank you for being here. Uh, the hand of God is on this church. I'm very impressed with the way you guys live your lives. If it wasn't so far away, I would commute here to be a member and listen to the word, because the, the leadership uh, the worship team, when you guys get to heaven, you're going to want to come back here on the weekends. Would you give the worship team a hand? Come on. It, it really, uh, I have a great heart, too, man. And your pastor, Brad. Uh, Brad, I, I don't know if you're listening in, but if you, if you are, you're, well done. And uh, you guys just keep moving forward for the things of God. Please, don't mess up this church, all right? <laughs> and uh, But I, I want to talk to you about something that could it could mess you up. And in fact, everybody in this room struggles with this topic from time to time. And uh, so I'm going to hit it firmly because there's two reasons why a lot of people get off track. And these are the two reasons that you cannot spot. You can't find these unless someone is authentic about it. Number one, it's guilt and condemnation. Because we've all made mistakes. Raise your hand if you ever made a mistake, all right? And if you don't think you made a mistake, no one likes you. Because we all have issues. If you don't think you have an issue, that's your issue. And uh, raise your hand if you ever lied before. If you didn't raise your hand now, you're lying now. And God will kill you. This is church. So let's do it again. How many lie? Yeah. So uh, last time I was here, I talked to you about some of those things. But, But let me warn you. The Spirit of God is great at forgiving people. So I don't know where you are. I don't know what you're up to. But there is nothing as addicting as being forgiven by the Spirit of God. Paul said there is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus, and that's great. The problem is there's a lot of condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. So is the Bible wrong? No, the Bible's right. It's illegally attached to you. You don't have to stay there. He paid a price for you to move forward. You can get out of that. Don't live your life like the way my wife drives a car. She, she doesn't use the mirrors. I always say, babe, you ought to use the mirrors. She goes, no, I'm not driving that way. I'm driving that way. That's a terrible driving strategy. But that's a great kingdom strategy, condemnation. Another issue that people battle against, and it's the topic of today, and, and I'm going to hit this forward. I mean, I'm going to hit it straight up. And I want to talk to you about fear. Fear. Because typically speaking, when you serve God, Most of the things that come from heaven and his word, it takes boldness to do it. It takes faith. And my professor said, if he said it a lot in the class, it's probably going to be on the test. And this topic of fear is the most reoccurring, perpetual topic throughout the word, over and over and over. Be not afraid, because the Lord knew that we struggle with this. So I want to hit it straight forward. I'm in a really good mood because I'm going to have my first grandkid in October, and I'm pumped about that. His name is going to be Jack. But I'm hoping, I'm hoping the, the way that my, my son, he, he's, he's married to Katie, and they're, they're going to have this kid. Uh, but my wife, who's a health nut, and it's very difficult for a, a fat guy uh, to be married to. I like cheeseburgers and Reese's peanut butter cups. Anybody with me? Okay, I got, she doesn't like that kind of stuff. And she fed my kids barley green all of their lives. That's like, you got to call DHS for that kind of stuff, man. <laughs> like, that's child abuse, boo. And I, and I, and I, have you ever tasted it? It tastes like turtle spit. <laughs> it's so bad. And but so my son, he never had any chocolate until his first birthday. She goes, he doesn't know what it is, so we won't, this is my first kid. So we won't let him have anything to, I said, babe, that's not, so I went with it because I didn't wanna get in trouble. So for a year, but his first birthday, this is what happened. I said, hey everybody, it's Hunter's birthday today, thank y'all for coming over to the party. And uh, But Hunter has never had any candy or any chocolate, so we got a chocolate cake for him, we're gonna bring it out and it's gonna be awesome, I'm gonna video it, it's gonna be great. And my dad said, oh this is not gonna be his first time to have chocolate. And I said, yeah, it is, Dad. It's my son. I know. He goes, oh, no, he's had chocolate a lot. <laughs> he said, but you do want a video, and it's amazing to watch his face. <laughs> that's my dad. He's a blast. I told my dad I was going to have a grandkid, which means he's going to be a great-grandfather. And He said, what is it, a boy or a girl? I said, we don't know yet. He said, hurry up and find out. I want to know if I'm going to be a papa or a Momo." <laughs> that's my dad. Okay, that's my dad. But in life, here's what I've noticed, I struggle with, with fear and mine, mine comes from a place that it's just my story, everybody has a story, so it's not your story, but it's my story and we all end up sometimes in the same zone, if you will. I grew up in a church that was nothing like this church. If I could have grew up in this church, it would have been really good for me because I grew up in a church that was very legalistic, a judgmentalism was always on a full-out march. Everybody there in the church was mean, and they hated people, and they were ugly. <laughs> and uh, my Sunday school teacher, she was—her finger was thirty foot long, and I know because that was the dimensions of the class. And she would point at me and she'd tell me, "Hell," she taught like a man who smoked a lot. "Hell is hot, hot, and you're going to hell." That's what she said. I was eight years old. She talked about hell like she was born and raised in hell. She don't you want to go to heaven? I said, not if you're going to be there, no. And that was a bad day when I said that. I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have said that. But here's what I know. Okay, it's funny now looking back on it, but I, I thought God hated me. I, I struggled. I, I thought God wanted me out. I never thought that he wanted me in. So a lot of my fear, it comes from from that incredibly bad position of theology. So I I don't know what causes you to be afraid, but when you think God is not with you, that's going to always create more insecurity than you can imagine. So we're going to heaven, but we're not enjoying the trip. Because we're living our lives loaded with, with hesitation and fear. There's these two stories in the Bible, just real quick, just to jump these in there. Uh, you got the rich young ruler who ran to Jesus. The Bible says he ran into the presence of God, and he slid in like in the home plate. And he was so pumped. He goes, you're Jesus. It's amazing to be around you. And Jesus said, well, you gotta, you're going to you're gonna have to follow my commands. And this rich young ruler lied. First thing he ever did was lie. He, he said, oh, I've obeyed all your commands all of my life. No one's done that. We already admitted that we lied before. So, so Jesus changes the subject and he goes to his fear. Very interesting, I'm not gonna tell you what the rich young, rich young ruler's fear was because it, it'll probably make you not think about yours, whatever yours is, so I'm just gonna talk to you like he was speaking to you. He, he, he goes right to the fear, Jesus said, okay, if you wanna follow me, then I want you to do this. Take this insecurity, go and drop it, and then follow me. And the Bible says, and when he heard Jesus say that, it was like, what? That's too lofty, I I can't do it. So the Bible says that he turned around, so he's with Jesus, then he turns around and he walks away and the Bible says instantly he was depressed. He walked away depressed. Now, we don't know anything about this guy, except he was a rich young ruler. But what is his name? Look it up. We don't know. Where did he get his money? We don't know. How young was he? We don't know. Tell me about his hobbies or his dreams or anything. We don't know. But I believe if he would have said, yes, if he would have handed Christ his spear or dropped his spear and went after the Lord, he could be a household name right now. But he did what a lot of us do. And right after we slide into the presence of God, like, Jesus, I I just want to go for you, drop your fear. And then we say no. We turn around and walk away depressed. Another group in the Bible is just two ladies, Martha and Mary. They were sisters, and Jesus goes into their home. And this is what you want. I mean, everyone wants Christ to be in their home. Especially in these days, these are crazy days that we live in. Raise your hand if you notice it's an election year. Okay, all right. See, crazy days. So, so Jesus is in their home, and, and 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 one of them is just totally into it, like the Jesus side of the Jesus side. But the other lady, Martha, she's freaking out and trying to get everything right. There's a lot of pressure to have Jesus in your home. We gotta get it right. People are paying attention. Jesus is in that home. We gotta get it right. Martha's trying to get everything together, and she she gets so afraid, and this is what happens when you're afraid for a long time. She gets so afraid that the, she thinks that Jesus doesn't even care about her concern. This is what happens when you're there a long time. Some of you right now you think the Lord doesn't even really care about my life. So she walks in and she says, Jesus, there's so many things to be done. Don't you care? My sister's not even helping me. And Jesus said, Hey, Martha, Martha. He says her name twice. If he says your name twice, you better listen. Martha, Martha. few things are really necessary. You're worried and upset about many things, but your sister, she's getting this thing right. So, so I don't know where you are, but here's what I do know. The peak of your relationship with God was when you were not afraid. Think about that. When you were not afraid, like somehow I just know it's going to work out. I just believe. I, I know there's crazy things going on, but I just believe. That, that, that's when your faith is totally intact. It's like, yeah, I just believe. And when you were at the lowest point of your relationship with God, it's definitely when you were afraid. Afraid of relationships crumbling. Uh, afraid of the future. Afraid of your career. Uh, afraid of, just fill it in. What, what you're afraid of. So this one guy in the Bible that I like so much is Paul. He was afraid of the church. He hated the church. He was like Bin Laden of his day. He was overseeing the destruction of the church. Uh, But one day he meets Jesus face to face and it changed him, man. And all of a sudden he loved the church, but he was never afraid. This guy was like unmovable in his face. Like like they said, hey, Paul, we're sick and tired of your boldness. We're going to kill you. And he said, well... Good, I'll be with God. And I was like, man, this guy's unmovable. All right, Paul, we're going to throw you in prison. Great. I need to write some letters. It's going to be in a book called the Bible. I got a lot of work to do. <laughs> it's like, dang, this guy's so strong. So, so, in the Bible, and this is, I could have landed in a thousand places to teach you this weekend. But I decided to teach you about something that Luke shared. Now, just a second about Luke. If I were to ask you to name the disciples, and, uh, and I've done this before. Most, most people who have been believers, even for a long time, would struggle. They wouldn't be able to get, there. would go, let's see, uh, yeah, we got well, that one guy. He made a lot of mistakes. Uh, got him. And then, but I can't name, they, they, would tr- they would have trouble. But at some point, somebody typically says, oh, yeah, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Bam. Okay, well, you would already be off by two. Uh, for example, Luke was not a disciple. I don't know if you ever thought about this, but Luke, he probably never saw one miracle that Jesus did, because Luke was a doctor. He got saved on Paul's missionary journeys, probably in Antioch, where we were first called Christians. And he was on a stipend, probably with Paul and his buddies, you know, just trying to take care of them. But he had hunger for God's Word. So years after Jesus rose from the dead, he goes back into the zone to talk with people who were there when Jesus was around. 51% of the book of Luke is in red ink. It's just words of Christ. So he went out and he investigated it. Luke, by the way, is a huge part of the New Testament. Some even say Paul wrote most of the New Testament, but it's not true. Paul wrote the most books. Luke wrote the most words. He wrote the book of Luke, which makes sense, right? And then he wrote the book of Acts. Both of them. He wrote it to a friend called Theophilus. He he just cared about this friend. So he went out and studied the word. He goes, Theophilus, this is what I learned today. So in the book of Luke, he goes out and he's investigating people. It's sort of like this. He goes around and he heard that Jesus fed 5,000. So he found some people that were there that day. And he's just recording it. He goes, hey, you guys were there that day. It was late in the evening. He's writing this down. He, and Jesus, it, there was no food, and y'all we're hungry. And he catered in like a lot of food, right? He catered it in. They go, no, bro. It was just one kid with a lunchable. That was it. And we touched it in our hands and it and it multiplied. I'll never forget that. When we were done, we didn't have one lunch, lunchable. We had 12, and it was just like. What a day. And he's writing this down. So he goes to some other guys who are still alive. And he goes, hey, you guys were in the boat that day when Jesus was swimming out to you guys, right? He was swimming out there. They go, no, not that day, bro. He was walking on the water. I saw it. Well, What was it like? And he's writing it down. He goes, man, at one point, Peter decided to get out of the boat. We thought he was crazy. and Because Peter said a lot of things you don't really want to do or say. But he got out of the boat, and he started, he was walking on the water, too. And we were jealous. And then he sank. We loved that part. <laughs> but then Jesus picked him up, and we were jealous again. He's writing this down, and he talked to, to Mary and Joseph and said, How would you find I'm a doctor? Did a doctor tell you was pregnant? No, it was, a, it was an angel. And it was you. What did Joseph believe? What was it like? people And he's writing this down. And in the middle of it all, he gets this portion of Scripture. It's so cool. This is going to help us for a long, long time. Luke chapter 12 and verse 22 says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, he said, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or about your body and what you will wear. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothes. Now hold it right there. Everybody look here. This is going to talk about food. It's going to talk about clothing. It's going to talk about the essentials back then. So what I want you to do when I'm reading this, because you go, well, I'm not really that worried about what I'm going to eat. Some of you may be, because you're struggling right now. Or about some clothes, maybe that's not a main fear for you. So I want you to replace it with whatever fear, because there's something that you're afraid of. I want you to think about what, what that is as I read this. For life is more than food and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn. yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable you are, you are than birds. Now, just look here for a minute. A, a, a raven, God is trying to say this. A raven is really nothing more than a rat with wings. I mean, that's basically it, okay? It's not worth that much. And God is saying, if I'm going to hook up a rat with wings, I got you. So he's trying to teach them this. So he said, they, they, they do not sow reap. They have no store when they're born. Yet God feeds them. How much more valuable you are than birds? Verse 25. Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? Basically, he's saying, it doesn't work. It doesn't even work. So why are you doing it? It doesn't even work. Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider how the wildflowers grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? And do not set your heart on what you're going to eat or drink. Do not worry about it, for the pagan world runs after all such things. And your father, I want to ask everybody to say father. That's the key to this. I'm coming back to that. We're going to hit this hard. And your father knows that you need them, but seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father, say father, has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Now, let's just hold it right there, let me talk to you for a minute. I have four kids, and uh, they're all raised now. Uh, My wife and I are empty nest uh, for the first time, and... uh, and uh, I, I loved raising my kids. But there were times where I would tell them something that would be like a, a tip of the day. Like, close the door on your way out or don't run through the living room or, or uh, don't, don't forget your shoes. They were always forgetting their shoes. Bring your shoes home. Or but there were other times when I had to tell, like what I was about to tell them was going to save their life, help them. So when you had to do that, it wasn't like when they were running, like, don't forget, don't play in the traffic. It was none of that. It was like you would grab them by the face. Remember that? What well, I'm about to tell you. listen, listen to me. Do you want me to do to you what I did to your older brother? I don't have an older brother. See? You want that? You don't want that. <laughs> So anyway, this is what I think God is doing when he speaks on fear. It's like he's grabbing your face. Like, you got to get this. You got to get it. It's killing you. First thing that will help you with to be motivated to drop fear. Remember this. Worry, it places huge limits on your life. Huge limits on your life. It says this. Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to your life? All right, here's, here's what I do. I don't know if you do this, but, but I, I'm a pastor. Let me put it in, in those terms. I pastor a church. It's in Arkansas, and I'm just going to be transparent with you. Oftentimes through the years, I have put the church in front of my God. Like I get so busy working for Him that it's no longer about Him. But why would I do that? Because of fear because I don't trust that he can do it better. Uh, That's why the Lord has given us a a pattern, a template uh, of work. I'm I'm driven, I don't know, this is only for the driven people. Please, if you're not driven, don't listen to this because you're already messed up because you don't do enough. all right? But the, the pattern is work, 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 rest. Some of you it's rest, rest, rest. Rest, rest, rest. Work a little bit. <laughs> hey, all the single ladies, before Adam got Eve, he had a job. Bam. Okay. So, my point is the reason why, because some people say, man, I'm just so busy, I can't keep up. And it's just work, work. I'm working 100 hours a week. <laughs> Basically, you're saying, I trust my way over God. I'm afraid to do it another way. Okay. Some of you might say you have 20 years experience in your relationship with God, but it might just be one year experience 20 times the same exact way, like just taking another lap. Over and over, there's no progression. You love God, but, but we're not growing. It's so much fun to grow. Fear kicks us out the growth pattern as much as anything. So I just wanna encourage, when you get to heaven, and uh, this is the way I talked to you about this last time. When you, when you get to heaven, you're going to see how huge God is. There's no faith in heaven. We have to use faith here. There, there's zero faith because you can see everything. And you can imagine how powerful he is going to be. The enormity of God and the power of his name, the majestic side. It's like, what? You're amazing. But there's a chance that we may look back to now and go, why didn't I live on earth, with confidence that he would... If I would have known he was this big, I wouldn't have been so afraid all the time. Why was I so afraid? When it was time to give, I was afraid to give. When it was time to serve... Do you know how many people are in this room right now and there was a relationship that broke down, it was like a friend of yours, and it just something happened, and you you need that friend, and you could have them if you called them on the phone and invited them back in, but you won't do it because you're afraid... That you'll be rejected. Do you know how many people will not try for a job that God has ordained for you because you're afraid you won't get it? Do, Do you know how many young people choose a major in college that they despise because the one they're really wanting to do they're afraid that they can't do it? Do you know how many creative ideas have hit a businessman or a woman and it's been an idea from heaven. And it would revolutionize your life, but you won't do it because you're afraid. In this cyclical pattern. Okay, one time Jesus, he, he turned to the disciples. He goes, hey, boys, uh, y'all get in the boat. And come on, get in the boat. And we're going to go to the other side. He probably pointed to the other side. We're going to go to the other side. see a Galilee. We're going to go to the other You can see all the way across it. And he said, hey, we're going to go to the other side. They got in the boat. And as they got in the boat, the same thing that happens with us, this we have storms, man. And the storms started kicking up. and they were thinking, "Wow, this is not so good. Well, we can make it. And then it got worse. And all of a sudden the Bible says, in the Greek it says that they were freaking out. <laughs> and they looked over, and this is what happens. This is the most important thing I'm going to say right here. They were so afraid that they looked over and they saw Jesus sleeping. And that's what happens in the storms of our life. It's like the Lord is around, but he means nothing. So they shook him. And listen to what they said. Very important. They shook him and said, Jesus, we're going to die. Next sentence. Don't you care? You do not care, do you? This what happens when you're loaded with fear? It's like a stronghold. Don't you care? Jesus stood up. The waves are knocking them all over the place. And Jesus stood up and he, he looked at the storm and he just said, be still. <laughs> my gosh. I mean, immediately the wind and the waves stopped. It went from <laughs> so much volume and, and water and, and immediately it was more peaceful than in this room. He looked at them. It had to be awkward. And he looked at them and he said, why are you so afraid? You have little faith. Why? Why are you so afraid? I'm right here. I've got you. I told you we were going to the other side. Second thing I've noticed about fear, it does place huge limits on our life, but... Second thing is seeking God's kingdom first gives us an unintimidating view. An unintimidating view. In the passage of Scripture that I read earlier, and I just want to break this down. Some of this is going to sound like heresy at first, and then everybody's going to agree, so don't, don't freak out. In front of us, we have two options. We have the way of God. The Bible calls it here, seek first the kingdom of God, and things will be added unto you, all things. So the kingdom of God is one option. You have that option, so do I. The problem is, is the world has got amazing marketing strategies to get you over there. And it's loud, and it just seems like so much fun. Like, if you're going to have a light that measures, you got to go over there. That's what it seems like. Because it's always, it's like, just hey, come on! And so we go over there. The Bible says that what you really want in your life, you don't get it over there. This is Jesus grabbing you by the face. Don't don't you go over there. You get it over here. Seek first the kingdom of God. Let's say uh, you're single and you're, you're lonely. And uh, and so you think, i got to go. i got to get my man over here. I'm just going to go over here for a little bit. And now I'm going to switch back over here. It's fear. You're basically saying, I got a better strategy than God's, or whatever. So you go on this, and this is what happens. Here's the part that sounds like heresy. If you choose the world, I promise you, you are going to have a blast, because the Bible says you will, for a season. That's the key part of it. I don't know how long that season is. It's different for everyone. It could be a weekend. You could have a blast for a month. Could be a blast for a year. It may be a blast for a decade. It could be blast for your a blast for for longer than that. But there's going to come a time where you're going to realize I've been punked. This is not what I thought. And if you forget about the power of the cross, here's what's going to happen. And I've seen it so many times. I'm pleading with you, like I'm yelling as loud as I can inside. What will happen is you'll say, I want to go to the, to the King. I want to serve Jesus. I want the way of Jesus, but I've made too many mistakes. I can't get there now. It's just like I've blown it. There's, there's no way I can get there. And you are right. Without the cross, you can't get there. But there is an old rugged cross. Can somebody say amen? amen. And he is amazing at forgiving people. Like he'll blow your mind. You, there's nothing as addicting as being forgiven by God. So I've seen people on this this road, serving the Lord, seek first the kingdom of God, and all things will be added unto you. We choose this world because we're afraid we won't get it over here, but this is where you really get it. As a pastor, I've seen so many people at the end of their lives on this road, or even after a year, even a month, maybe longer, I've seen them with regret, like, gosh, man, I made some bad decisions. I missed the Lord or I want God. Did this road? I've never seen anybody with regret. I've never seen anybody serving the Lord on this road. Like at the end of the life saying, you know, I served God all my life, but I just really wish I would have been in the world a little bit longer. I just wish I would have killed some people, smoked a lot of pot. No. Because this is where, this is where God adds it unto you. The third thing and this is my last thing. Fear cannot coexist when God is seen as a loving father. A loving father. There's a story in the Bible, okay? It's the story of this prodigal son. His prodigal son's with the father, and things are going good. But somehow in his mind, he's afraid that he didn't have enough. That's what happens. Like, hey, uh, I need more. You can't get more than being with the father. So he says, give me my portion, and God will never control you. So give me my portion. So it happens. He goes out there in the world. He's on this road. He's he's having a blast. But all of a sudden, things start going south, and then further south, and then even further south, and then he's in big trouble. But pay attention to what happens. He's out there so far away, he's thinking that the Father, he's full of fear. But he's thinking, I can't go home because the father's, he's going to be mad at me. He's not going to want me home. This is, this is the reason why a lot of us stay over there. Say, I can't go home. The father's not going to want me home. He's heard about all the mistakes that I've made. But he had no idea. The longer you're away from the father, the more you forget he's a good, good father. And that he can't wait for you to be home. So the Bible says that he came to his senses. And he's, this is what he's thinking now. If my dad won't let me home, but if I could just live on the property somewhere, if I could be a hireling, if I could just be a slave, I would at least be on the land with him. So he's thinking, but, but he's not going to let me go home. He's just not going to let me go home. So I got to come out with a speech. I got to sell him. on. So he's thinking, I'm going to go home and I'm going to tell him this now. I got to at least try. I got to try. I got to try. So he's got this speech. He's got it all memorized and he's going home. And the Bible says when he was still far away, the father saw him and the father started running at him, running at him. I am totally convinced that prodigal son thought that the father was running at him to chase him down to kick him off the land or kill him. But that's not what happened. The father gets up to him, and he starts trying. And the father says, how I know is my boy was gone. Now he's home. I got some filet mignon. It's party time. (laughs) When's the last time? You had that revelation of God. Okay, my son, I'm just going to close out with two things. My son, his name is Hunter. One time I took Hunter fishing when he was four years old, and I wanted to catch a fish. I've learned a lot from raising my kids. But we were fishing, and, but the fish weren't biting. It was his first time, and I wanted him to catch a fish so bad. So we're fishing and fishing, and finally, he wasn't catching anything. So he stopped. He started throwing rocks, and he's just throwing rocks. And I kept trying, but when he wasn't looking, I caught a fish. So I was like, he didn't see. So I reeled it in, and I took it off my hook, and I put it on his hook, and then I let it out. And I said, Hunter, I really feel led that you could catch a fish if you come back over here. So he came back over, and he picked up. He goes, Dad, it is different. Dad, Dad, Dad. And he reeled it in, and he's jumping up and down the other fish, and he was, he was kissed it. It was awesome. <laughs> the next day I said, Hunter, what did we do yesterday? He said, Dad, we went fishing. I said, well, did we catch anything? He said, well, you did, then you took it off the hook and put it on my... <laughs> it's like you act happy. She was jumping up and down, you kissed it. You, still, you knew the whole time. He said, I said, so why did you act happy? He said, because I was with you. <laughs> All the ladies, woo, not one man went, Whoa. This is what fear keeps you from doing. It's like you're no longer enjoying your relationship with the Father. Okay, my son, when he was four years old that same year, he was asked to be in a wedding, and the, it, he wasn't going to be a ring bearer. The lady asked him if she would carry, if he would carry in my Bible and just stand there next to me and well, hand me the Bible. So I said, if he wants to do it. So she asked him. He goes, I'll do it. So on Friday night at rehearsal, my son aced it. It's like, he's made for this. Anybody who ever needs him in a wedding to carry a Bible, he's the man. He aced it. Well, the next day he was acting weird. Fear will make you weird. And some of you, the Lord only knows how weird you really are. So, I said, Hunter, are you okay? No, dad, I'm not. I can't remember exactly how he said it, but he. no, dad, I'm not Okay. I don't know what to do. I can't remember. I'm supposed to carry in the Bible. I don't know how fast. I don't know know what I'm going to do. I'm going to mess up the whole wedding. I said, well, do you want out of this? No, Dad, they need me. I'm the Bible carrier. (laughs) So I said, well, son, don't be afraid. Dad, it's easy for you to say. I said, all right, Hunter, there's two things that you're going to have to do. I'm going to be up front in the church. I'm doing the wedding." I remember that part. And they're going to open the doors. And when they do, just do two things. Two things. You keep your eyes on me. And you carry the Bible. That's all you got to do. I'll let you know how you're doing. But you got to keep I know you're afraid. I know you don't want to do this. Just keep your eyes on me and carry the Bible. So it's wedding time and I'm up front. And I'm worried. I don't even know if my son is still on the property. I was like, I hope he's here. And they opened the Bible and I'll never forget my son. He's just like there and he's looking at me, he's just staring. Cause I told him two things, stare at me, care about he's staring. He's so rigid, he's about to break in half. And I'm just laughing, trying not to laugh. And he's staring, I look down at his hands, he's holding the Bible so tight. And so, I tell him to start going. So, he he just looked miserable. But I encouraged him. I said, you're doing good. And he, he got a little relaxed. And I was like, yeah. He got more relaxed. And then, by the time he got about halfway, he had some swag. He was like, yeah, what's up, everybody? And he came and stood next to me and just kind of like, boom, handed me the Bible what's up people? (laughs) After the wedding was done, I said, I said, Hunter, I'm proud of you. You aced that. He said, thanks dad. But when I was going to sleep that night and through the years, I've thought back on times that I was afraid. And I thought, this is great advice for all of us. When you're afraid, you keep your eyes on the father and carry the word you don't want the door to open, you just keep your eyes on the Father and carry the Word. When you don't know what's going on and your family's in disarray and your, your income is, is questionable or your confidence is shattered, just keep your eyes on the Father and carry the Word. It's just so many of us have gotten off track because we don't know what to do. It's as simple as keep your eyes on the Father and carry word. Let's bow our heads, no one looking around. Lord, I thank you for your presence that is here right now in this place and this church. Clearly, your hand is on this church, but I know that Brad and the staff and you, they don't want this church to progress forward without, without others moving along too, whether it's Brighton Campus with Pastor Wayne or whatever it might be. Lord, we know that We need you in our lives. And we're so sorry, Lord, for being people who are afraid, who even look at you and say, don't you care? So we want to keep our eyes on you, and we want to carry the word. And then people that are in this room who have lost their way, or maybe people in this room who have never met you, like they've never had that experience where you take out our old heart and give us a new one like be born again, or or maybe people that are here who have made that decision, but they're not in step with you. They need to rededicate their life to you. Lord, I pray that each one of them will make a decision right now at every campus, here in the room, even those that are online. Oh, Holy Spirit, we welcome you into our lives. Lord, we thank you for the power of your name, the cross, the burial, the resurrection, your word, your promises, your spirit your church your people Lord we want to be in it so God forgive us of our sin like the sin of fear help us God with with our relationship with you we repent and we turn to you from this day on we want to serve you and you alone so we welcome you into our lives In Jesus' name, we pray. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Come on, let's give the Lord a hand if you love Him in this place. (laughs) Before you go, some of you are, you wanna make a decision for the Lord. And there's a connect card in the service guide that was handed to you when you came in. You can tear off the part of it that's on the end. Fill that out. It'll tell you exactly what to do with it as well. There's nothing greater than making a decision for the Lord. And you can do that privately, but you have to go public with your faith. Baptism is the best place. Another way is just to let the church know. And then if you have a prayer request, a bunch of prayer leaders are going to be up here. We all need prayer from time to time. Isn't that right? Raise your hand if you ever need prayer. It might be for you. It might be for a friend. It could be for either. But before you leave, this is the kind of church where you can get prayed for. So you don't have to leave without prayer. God is good. Thanks a lot for letting me come, and God bless you.